Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. It was 1925 when Pius XI was Pope over the Catholic Church. And Pope Pius XI had grown weary and worried about what was happening with the modern world. The world, not that too long ago, had been through the Great World War. Millions of people were killed in the global conflict. And Pius was growing increasingly concerned about a wave of sentiment, of dogmatic thinking that was sweeping across Italy and the rest of Europe. In the aftermath between, after World War I and before World War II, there was a growing wave of hyper-nationalism, which is very different than patriotism. Sometimes these things get confused. It's one thing to be patriotic, to love your country, to be proud of your country. It's another thing to have a nationalistic worldview that positions your country against other countries, that that positions your country as the greatest at the expense of others. And the Pope at the time was concerned about what he was experiencing and seeing within Italy. It gave rise to what would later be the dominant force of fascism that would sweep across Europe. The Pope was concerned about how many people were obsessed now in the wake of the world war with military strength and power. And on the one hand, it was understandable. Millions of families were grieving the loss of loved ones to the great war. But many were becoming fearful of neighbor. They were becoming dogmatic in their thinking. And idols began to emerge in the modern world. Idols of empire and wealth, of power and might. And it's in response to all of this in the year 1925 that Pius XI institutes Christ the King Sunday. This isn't a festival day in the church year that Christians have been celebrating or commemorating for thousands of years. It's only about a hundred years old. And Lutherans, in fact, wouldn't celebrate Christ the King Sunday until after the Second Vatican Council in the 1970s. Because originally, the Pope declared that this would be a festival on the last weekend in October when all of those Lutherans were celebrating the Reformation. Catholics would celebrate Christ the King Sunday. But the point was always clear. The Pope's intent was to orient people in churches around Christ as the ultimate authority. To orient people's hearts away from the material world of military might and dogmatic thinking and orient people to the truth that as Christians, our allegiance is always first and foremost to the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who doesn't rule like an earthly empire. 
But after the Second Vatican Council and ecumenical talks, it was fitting that other Christians around the world would join in. The date was moved to the final Sunday in the church year. And so here we are, this weekend is the final weekend in our church calendar. Next weekend begins the season of Advent, the beginning of a church cycle. And it's here we find this great paradox, this great tension. On this weekend, we sing songs and we hear scriptures and words of Christ as King about dominion and power and authority, about how Christ rules through all of time. And next weekend, (coughs) excuse me, in the weeks to follow, we'll orient ourselves toward the Christ who is to come. The Christ who came as an infant child, lowly in a manger. The powerful Christ and the weak Christ. It's almost as if this time of year it's the lion and the lamb for us. But I started thinking about Pius XI. What were his midnight prayers? What was he uh, concerned about? What was he worried about? And I started thinking of our world a hundred years later. And how these same forces are at work in our society and around the world right now. The reality is we need Christ the King Sunday maybe more than ever. As an ultimate reminder and challenge for us as to where our allegiances and our loyalties lie. You see the reality is we are living in a world filled with empires. We live in an empire here in the United States of America. I won't say whether it's an evil empire or a good empire, but it's an empire. There are rulers, there are systems, there are ways of being, there are values that are, that, that are lifted up and championed, just as there are values and rulers and leaders and ways in every country around the world. But I started also thinking this week about the first time in my own life that I was wrestling at the tension, the crossroads of God's kingdom that we hear about in scripture that Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of love and peace and justice and mercy and all those good things. The kingdom that Jesus would die for, the vision of humanity for all God's people, that kingdom over and against the tension of worldly empire. I was 22 years old at the time and I was deployed in Iraq. And I had been wrestling with my faith. What do I believe? I had this newfound curiosity and hunger to dig into God's word, to really wrestle with what my faith meant, practically living a life as a soldier deployed in the Middle East. And I remember one morning, I got up and I went to the chapel. (coughs) Excuse me. And before the chapel service there, they were uh, raising the, the flag on the flagpole outside of the chapel building. And it's customary and right to first raise the American flag. It always flies the highest when you fly other flags according to US flag code. It makes perfect sense. But as they raise the American flag up the flagpole on the outside of the chapel, then they grab the other flag before the Christian services and it was that Christian flag. Maybe you've seen them before, they're white, with a blue square and the red cross in the square. We actually have one in our gathering space next to our American flag. And they raised up 
the Christian flag underneath the American flag. And as I was standing there, a question overwhelmed me. Which flag flies higher in my heart? Which flag flies higher in my heart? I was a patriotic person. I am a patriotic person. I love this country. But I was raised in a tradition and in a church where I also understood and I understand that our baptismal identity as a child of God, following the Prince of Peace, would mean at times our loyalty and allegiance to the kingdom of God would be in tension with any kingdom of this world. And we get into danger when we conflate and mix the two to almost be like one religion. Which flag will fly higher in my heart? This is the question, and this was the impetus behind Pope Pius a hundred years ago. An intentional weekend where we would look at all the kingdoms of this world and we would ask ourselves and take an inventory for how do these kingdoms fail to meet up to the vision of God's kingdom. And how can we at some level understand that when we are baptized in those waters, we are grafted into a vision of God's kingdom where geographical borders and boundaries, where politics and leaders and issues do not divide, but where we are united as one human family, humbly in need of a Savior named Jesus. The imagery is all there throughout the Gospels. It is a really good practice for us to have a hermeneutic, a lens through which we read Scripture, to think about God's kingdom, which is over, overarching throughout the, the Gospels, and the other reality of empire. It's a really interesting study when you do that. Jesus did ministry in a world and a context where there was an empire who was dominating over the people. It was the Roman Empire, an occupying force. And much of what Jesus is talking about is orienting people to God's kingdom. And so here, before Pilate, he is asked before the powers of his time, the empire of his time, who has the authority and the capability to end his life, are you a king? What is your empire? And Jesus here says, if my kingdom were like your kingdom, well then yeah, I would be fighting. There'd be a war. There would be arguments. There would be bloodshed across battle lines. But my kingdom is not cut from the same cloth as your kingdom. My kingdom is one where the king isn't served by others, but serves others. You see, Jesus is a radically different type of king that should disorient us because we are steeped in a culture that benefits from and loves empire. And it makes sense in a worldly sense. We have lots of reasons to fear we know that the world isn't perfect. We know the realities of conflicts. We know that the world can be a dangerous place, but both kingdoms can't have ultimate authority over our lives. They can't. 
we as God's people need to be challenged again and again and again to say, I, I am a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. So I am going to view my neighbor and my enemy as a child of God, even when it's hard. I'm going to listen for the voice of truth. Because Jesus tells us here in John's gospel that all who know the truth will hear his voice. Think about how, how, how many examples there are throughout the story and life of Jesus that illustrate for us how different of a king he is. If I were to ask the children here during my children's sermon about a throne, kings and queens sits on thrones, right? They sit on thrones. What do they look like? At the 8.30 service, one kid said, well, they got real specific. There's jewels, it's bedazzled, it's gold, and there's a red cushion. I love that. And I had the kids orient themselves to the cross. It's plain, it's cracked, it's dry, and it's the throne of our Lord. What kind of crown does the Queen of England wear? One with rubies and diamonds. Do you see the wood up here with flowers shooting out of it? What kind of crown did our Lord wear? one of sticks and thorns. When I was medically evacuated out of Iraq to Germany, I had a weekend away to Heidelberg, and there's a castle there on top of the hill, intentionally built high up so that the king, whoever lived in the castle, could be fortified away from enemies who might come to attack. There are high stone walls that are difficult to scale. There's a drawbridge that you can raise and lower and a moat with dragons in it right? Kings of this world still isolate and distance themselves, and it makes perfect sense. I'm not saying it doesn't. I remember being in eighth grade, going to Washington, D.C., and being in awe of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House, and standing there near the fence a long way away. I was looking in the windows. Can I see anyone? Can I see the president? Can I, can I see anyone? And our tour guide told us that there are anti-aircraft missiles on the top of the White House to shoot down any threats. There are secret service agents in the bushes. They can hear you right now. (laughs) And it makes perfect sense. For this kingdom, but not for God's. Christ on earth had no castle, but he has millions of them now. They're called churches. And churches don't have high walls built up to keep people out. They have open doors to draw people in. The castles of rulers throughout history have been filled with subjects and servants whose role it is is to serve the king, to attend to the king, to wash the king's feet and clothes and fan the king when the king is hot. Rather, this castle is a place for God's people to come and to be served by the king, to be fed with bread and wine, to be washed in waters of love. What is Christ whispering to you? Have we lost the ability in our empire-dominated world to hear the voice of the one true king? If we hear that voice of Christ, I think it will sound something like this. Come, my daughter. Come, my son. Take off your shoes. 
I need to wash your feet. Come, all of you who are heavy burdened, who are worried and anxious, those of you who are filled with rage and and misunderstanding and animosity, come and lay it down. I am here for you. Come and grab hold of God's vision, my vision of a world being mended where people aren't enemies bitterly fighting each other, but where brothers and sisters turn shields into plowshares. This is the vision of Christ. And it's the only true vision that will help a hurting world that is hell-bent on winning. Martin Luther King Jr. so eloquently said, hatred cannot drive out hatred. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. It will only lead to more hatred. Only love can do that. And so standing before Pilate, before the empire of his day, Jesus gives us the great example that love and faithfulness and forgiveness are far more powerful forces than the greatest object of intimidation or fear or hatred this world can offer. And God proved the point where after they sat him on his throne, three days later, God raised him from the dead to show us once and for all that love and life win. How is it that we, we have mixed up and conflated God's kingdom with the empires of this world? And how might God be whispering to us again as the church to radically live in obedience to the one true king who calls us to live in the tension and calls us to go out and to serve and wash others' feet and break bread and bless it and share it with the hungry world. That's the king I want to follow. And that's the kind of king I need help following. And if you're anything like me, you need help too. So welcome to the church a place of broken people who humbly need each other and need reminded that there is a kingdom worth living for. So let us live in love like Jesus in that kingdom. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.